Hi, and welcome to the Flowering Lotus Meditation Podcast. In this episode, I talk with Andrew Chapman and Reverend Mikey Nochelle, who both are teachers at Wild Heart Meditation Center in Nashville, Tennessee. We were introduced to Wild Heart by our board member, Justin Otto, last year. We had a retreat with Wild Heart, and it went so great, we're doing it again. We hope you can make it to the retreat that's happening July 6th through the 9th in Bay St. Louis. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce Andrew and Mikey. So welcome, guys. I'm glad to have you here. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Beth. Yeah, totally. Peace and love. Yeah. Peace and love. Peace and love. <laughs> so I'd like to start just by, if you could, each of you introducing yourselves, maybe talking a little bit about your credentials as a Dharma teacher and what we can maybe expect for this weekend coming up. Sure. Yeah. So, th- yeah, this is Mikey speaking. And uh, some of my credentials as uh, a Dharma teacher, my path in the Dharma is uh, quite broad. I I began my path in the Dharma in the Soto Zen tradition. And over time, I found a home in the Insight Theravada, the early Buddhism tradition through Against the Stream, now Wild Heart Meditation Center. And since over time, I have been authorized to teach uh, through uh, the Venerable Paniwadi in a dual lineage in the Theravada tradition, as well as the Mahayana tradition. And uh, much like Andrew, I have an affinity for the modern psychology. So I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. And so I really like the integrated Dharma of, of the old school psychology of the Buddha with the modern psychology as well. And while I have this integrated approach towards the Dharma, I feel like my voice these days is mostly rooted in the early Buddhist tradition, the Theravada tradition, the Vipassana tradition. So the old school uh, Buddhism is normally where I teach from these days. Yeah, yeah. you'll have to excuse my voice. I'm getting over being sick here. But um, uh, my, yeah, my background is also in the insight tradition. I've spent probably equal time practicing with uh Ajahn Sachito is a big teacher that I uh uh appreciate practicing and studying with I've gone on a couple of retreats so that's the Thai forest tradition of Theravada Buddhism and then um also the Burmese tradition uh with the Mahasi Sayadaw lineage I spent some time at Pendita Rama the forest monastery where Sayadaw Upendita was the uh, the abbot there for a while. So yeah, kind of the Burmese and the Thai forest paths of the insight tradition. Um, and I'm also a clinical social worker, a therapist and yeah. And all of that. Great. Um, I'd like to say that, you know, we all did a retreat together last year and I feel like something that I don't see on your resume anywhere. And I don't know how you would put it in there is the playfulness in which (laughs) you guys are both have this really, um, you know, ease to be around a way of teaching the Dharma. And so I'm not sure how you would add that to your resume, but I feel like you guys have a real down to earth and playfulness when you're teaching that is, um, relatable to pretty much everyone in the room. So I just want to say that's definitely to me something that I look forward to learning more from you in that way and coming up soon. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how would yeah. you add that to your resume? <laughs> uh, no, I just think about how the Buddhist teachings are all about liberation. And when I think about being free and, and liberated, I think actually that sounds very fun. It sounds very carefree. It sounds very playful. It sounds very imaginative. You know, and and I, when I think about like my experience of someone that's, you know, spent time feeling really depressed and really down, right? That's what brought me to the Dharma is the suffering is I think about how serious my mind always is when I'm in those mind states, right? And so uh, I just, I really feel like spirituality is, it's, it's uh it's important it's significant but it also i feel like is not worth it if it's not fun if it's not carefree and so you know i want to hang out around people that uh that embody that and 
you know, that cannot take themselves so seriously and have a good time, you know, and, and be kind and have fun. So it's very important to me. I'm glad you said that because it's, I think it's very important to both M- Mikey and myself. Yeah, 100%. Like my mom actually called me last week and my mom has a sense of like keeping like things from childhood. And then she said, oh, I was going through some of your assignments as a kid and about what you wanted to be when you grew up. And then she said, there's a consistent theme that you wanted to help people and you wanted to have fun. And I think that's really like, yeah, that's like totally what I grew up to be some guy that's like helping people, but let's have fun while we do it. And so Andrew and I were just on retreat together, like, like our own self retreat through Wildheart. And during like the sharing portions, uh, instead of like a sharing stick for that, like council style sharing, we used a, a Mickey Mouse a doll I had as our like sharing object. So if you're holding the Mickey Mouse, that's the only time you can talk. And uh, it, yeah, there's like this childlike joy that comes from the dharma right sometimes we say you could be childlike without being childish and i think when you look at the dharma like the true nature of reality it has that childlike wonder of like what is this and that investigation of like having fresh eyes on whatever object and it it, it's like this internal joy that arises in me when i have the dharma in me so yeah totally well, maybe you guys can put that Mickey Mouse on your resume and that'll be the signifier that you're playful when you're teaching. <laughs> oh, I, I'm totally Disney adult. I don't know if you can notice I have like the Haunted Mansion stuff here. I have like Mickey Mouse like tattooed on my neck and, you know, yeah, I, I love uh, Disney stuff being from Florida, you know. Yeah, it's in your blood. Um, but so I feel like well, let's talk about what the theme of this retreat is. It's Interdependence Day weekend, which I love that branding of the weekend because mm-hmm. it's the weekend right after um, 4th of July. So it's July uh, 6th through the 9th. And not only it having that Interdependence Day theme, the theme is compassion. So we're going to be doing compassion practices. Can you guys talk a little bit about that? Maybe Mikey, you want to say something about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, starting with this interdependence day, right? It's it's so almost rebellious for us to call it that because uh, coming up on Independence Day, it's such an illusion of independence, right? That we're so, uh, you know, self-oriented, right? I have to do it myself and be independent. And, and I don't know if there's any worse suffering than the suffering of feeling alone. And so we want to break free of this illusion of independence of, of uh, you know selfing everything and allow ourselves to be together in interdependence and i think that's how these retreats really work right the whole you know weekend will be silent but we also move together right we sit together we eat together we walk together and it, it's almost as if we move as one unit on the retreat and it gives us that opportunity to let go, right? That it's just, we can trust the process, trust the schedule, trust the retreat, and just be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, our independence. So just resting in the stream of the retreat and allowing the experience to be had, not that you have to do the experience. And so that's that interdependence of trust in uh, the process. And then what we are going to be focusing on is compassion. And so compassion is a loving, being in a loving presence with what is painful. And I know me and most of the people at Wildheart, Andrew sometimes calls Wildheart the community of the brokenhearted. And it's this brokenheartedness that brings us to meditation practice. And the Buddhist teachings begin with dukkha and dukkha means pain means suffering means unsatisfactoriness and i know in my own life the permission to be in pain the is so beautiful that doesn't mean there's anything wrong doesn't mean anything needs to change doesn't mean we need to fix anything it's just having that heartfelt yes as things hurt and it's rare for us to spend a whole weekend going, yeah, this is allowed to hurt and I can love you too. 
And so that's the intention of the retreat is to be loving towards whatever is painful and giving space for pain to live in this uh, environment with us. Yeah. Andrew, do you have anything to say about the theme? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because coming up with a theme for a meditation retreat is kind of shooting yourself in the foot, right? It's like, if you're new to meditation retreats, the reality is, is that you think it's going to be one way and it's never going to be that way, right? Because actually what you're doing is you're noticing every moment of experiences is very different. And the whole reason why you're meditating is to be in the moment and the moment's always changing different conditions. Some moments are pleasant. Some moments are unpleasant. Some moments are neutral. Sometimes there's joy. Sometimes there's fear. Sometimes there's excitement. Sometimes there's sadness. And what you get is what you get at the end of the day. You know, and the piece that the Buddha taught is actually learning that and not intellectually learning it, but teaching our heart to relax and to let go into the experience that's happening rather than always expecting an experience to be a certain way or needing it to be a certain way. So it's a long roundabout way of saying, trying to say, this is what we're going to do on the retreat is uh, setting yourself up for failure. But <laughs> we've gotten smart over the years. I said, okay, well, compassion, there are going to be many moments of pain that are going to come up, physical pain, unpleasant foods, uh, painful emotions, so in those moments when it is painful, we're going to try to meet those moments with compassion and we're going to practice. We're going to practice embracing uh, all of it, what we like, what we don't like, what we love and what we don't love about ourselves, about our experience. And compassion is a very courageous practice. It's actually quite radical, you know, and, and, um, most people see, okay, compassion retreat, that's something I believe in, that's something I can get behind. But what that means is it means a willingness to sit with pain and disease and to be open to it, not so that it changes or not that so that it goes away, but actually just to sit with it and be patient with it and say, okay, this is okay. And we find, and I think that people will relate to this, is that often the most hard experiences we go through in life give the most meaning to our lives. And you can't explain that intellectually, but it's actually true. The hardest moments that you've been through have been the most meaningful moments. And it doesn't mean we would want to go through them again or that we'd sign up for them, but they always usually are. And so there's something actually really magical about if we're trying to feel free or find freedom, I should say, in this life, about meeting pain with compassion, about learning how to show up for it. And uh, left to my own devices, I'm going to choose comfort over pain every time. But meditation helps me to see the beauty and the lesson in pain and how it brings meaning into life. And then you get this inner dependence this reality that you can't have happiness without pain, actually. And, you know, that might sound very deep, but it's just true. And so come see for yourself. See if it's true. Is sitting with pain bring freedom? I think it does. This is like one of the hardest reasons that it's hard, difficult, I think, to market meditation retreats is because we can't really say, well, this is what's going to happen for you. And we guarantee these results. And um, this is exactly, you know, what to expect. But let me ask you, and I think that as people who have been to or gone to either taught or attended a lot of meditation retreats, cast your mind back to like the first time you ever heard of going to a meditation retreat, like from a beginner's mind, like pure beginner's mind, never having gone to a retreat. What is it that brought you to that, to make the decision in your life to go on a meditation retreat? Like, I don't know how old you were. I don't know where you were in your life, but maybe um, talk a little bit about that because I think a lot of, I've always heard at least from people who've come to Flowering Lotus that they're like, I've been thinking about it. I've been seeing it for a while and I've been contemplating maybe doing it. And, you know, each person is met with a different situation of why they finally decide to make that decision to come to a retreat. But um, tell me a little bit, if you can remember that far back, I'm not sure how long it was um, for you about what made you decide to come to meditation or do a retreat. 
Yeah. So for me, I, uh, I think everybody's very different, but I think you're right. Beth is one thing that I know about myself. And I think is true about people is that we often think about doing something far before we do it. Right. And you kind of have this sense of like, I think, think about what you're doing on a meditation retreat. You're devoting time for silence and to be in nature and to sit with yourself. I think we know that it's good for us. I think there's something deep in our bones that tells us this is something that I need to do for myself, right? But there are endless amount of excuses. And I don't use that word negatively. I've got them too. It's just, it's just what the mind does. There's endless amounts of distractions and very reasonable excuses to not sit with ourselves and to be in quiet and to be in nature. And I think what it was for me is that I was going through a period of a lot of suffering in my life and I had the gift of desperation. I wouldn't have gone had I not felt like I needed it. And over time, the gift of my practice is that I've developed some discipline. I get like a C minus average on my discipline game, but I've developed some. And so now I can show up for myself and go on retreat before it gets bad, you know, before I feel desperate. And so I think there are those people too, that also are just like wildly curious people and want to give something a try. And I think that's fine as well. Um, so I think that there are a lot of reasons why we go, but like I said, I think what ends up happening is always a lot different and better than we could have expected. Yeah, for me, I, I got to share this story at the last retreat we we had with y'all at Flowering Lotus, um, that the best thing I ever did for myself is show up, that I started practicing uh, meditation at 26, and I, I just showed up to the meditation center, and it was terrifying. I was anxious. It was awkward. I... I, I was active in addiction and depression and I smelled like body odor and beer and I had a floppy blue mohawk with a dreadlock rat tail and I it was that beauty of desperation that just had me show up and I didn't show up with a master plan I didn't show up as my best self I didn't show up and kick ass I just showed up and the more I started to show up I found peace and with this essence of peace, it doesn't mean that it's not painful. Because yeah, I remember when I first started meditating, oh my gosh, it hurt so much. But there was still something there that was a higher happiness with my pain. And so that's when I just kept on showing up. So, okay, I'll show up to the meditation on this night and this day. And, oh, there's a retreat. I'll show up to that. So I just kept on showing up. And I remember my first residential retreat was a 10-day uh, Soto Zen, very traditional retreat. And oh my gosh, was it painful. By the end of the retreat, uh, I had like terrible hemorrhoids and my teacher would get on to me about my like posture and try to like help me. And it was just like so hard. And I I, I don't know if there's any better experience than that. Like it, it's, it was amazing, life-changing right? Just go into these retreats and just showing up and let it hurt. Let your ass have hemorrhoids. Let your posture suck, right? Just keep showing up. Be smelly. That's cool. Whatever way you are, that is good enough. Just show up. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's really what I feel like. It, it's always, no matter what retreat I've been to, I feel like everyone that came was there for that purpose for showing up for themselves and showing up for each other. Each time we've had a retreat, it seems like this meant to be Sangha of people who, you know, create a community, even for that small amount of time, I just feel so um, connected with everyone, even within mm -hmm. silence, even without knowing who everyone is and what their story is. But sort of what you were saying, Andrew, earlier about that um, creating a flow of practice and um, togetherness and presence, really, it happens every time. We've got to remember, too, that this isn't something we made up, right? Like this has been actually in our tradition since the time that the Buddha <laughs> lived, if he was a real person. I mean, it was it's been recorded. It's it's been a part of this tradition for over 2,600 years. So 
you know, there's got to be something to something that people have been doing all this time. Joseph Goldstein's teacher, Manindraji, used to say, if you want to understand your mind, you got to sit down and watch it. You know, if you want to understand the way or the path to peace, you've got to sit down and learn from yourself, right? Because you're not going to find that anywhere else. And so it's a part of our tradition. The Buddhist monks would go on rains retreat for three months. And during the rainy season, they would have to hunker down and couldn't be a mendicant wanderers like they were the rest of the year. And so when it rained outside, they would settle down into a piece of property and would sit, you know, in the na- in nature in their empty huts. And they would practice these very same practices that we're going to be doing during this retreat. So I think that's pretty cool. It gives me some inspiration to know that like, you know, I'm not alone when I'm going and doing this and I'm sitting in quiet. It's like I'm with 2,600 years of people. Yes, it's very, very powerful for sure. Let me ask you this. So last time that you guys came, I know that there that you had uh, you, both of you as teachers and then you had another teacher, uh, Marika. And mm. will you be having another person helping teach this retreat or it's just you two or what are you guys planning with that? So it's within our, uh, I guess, culture as Wildheart to not necessarily be one figurehead. Uh that we, we do have a structure, but we also want to make sure that structure moves forward. And so, yes, it's Andrew and I are teaching it, but we will have Callan Dawn uh, assisting it. So she will be uh, around in, in her development uh, as a facilitator of the Dharma. And uh, yeah, she she's facilitating Friday nights at Wild Heart Meditation Center with me. And yeah, she's great. She's a... Uh, She's a rock and roller. She, she plays music and and very similar to our type of attitude too. She got a big ass heart though too. It's like lovely being around her. So Callan Callan Dawn will be assisting with us. Well, and the reason I bring that up is because traditionally, um, before I met you guys and before we had the retreat last year, we usually just bring in one teacher and then that's pretty much how the weekend goes is taught by one person. And so what I was a witness to, and I was like, whoa, this is like magical kind of potion being, (laughs) being created in this moment was witnessing all of you collaborating with what you were teaching in the moment so that you were so much like even I wasn't in the room with you listening to what you were saying, but I could tell that what you guys were doing was teaching to the people that were there. So knowing kind of based on what people's questions were, maybe they had had an interview. I'm not really sure. I almost do want to question, like, how did you know that when you were doing that, um, you know, writing your Dharma talks or, you know, creating the content for the retreat as it's happening? Like, to me, I felt like I witnessed that. And it really never occurred to me that probably other teachers are doing that. They just are not doing it in a collaborative way that I could see. Um, But tell me a little bit, if you want, um, maybe Mikey, about how do you teach to the people that show up and how do you kind of change what you're teaching or tailor that teaching to the people that are in the room in front of you? Well, yeah, to be clear, like it's kind of in our style at Wildheart to have a structure have a schedule and then just show up and we write the retreat as we go. Uh, We have a frame of mind of intention like this one. The intention will be to cover compassion and then we witness whatever's in the room and respond accordingly. And so for the most part, it's just like having strong faith that the Dharma will show up if you let it. Right. And we can just get out of the way and let the retreat happen and uh, having just our voices and our hearts be the vehicle that the Dharma moves through and, and let the teachings move through and let the Dharma talks move through. And with that said, we do put a lot of work into it, right? But we, it, our work is just trusting our gut. And it's kind of cool because uh, 
it, 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 one person will give a talk, Andrew will give a talk on something, and then my talk will be responding to his talk, and then we'll catch whatever vibes going on about it. So if we're joking about this, the joke continues on the next talk, or if there's a surprise theme that arises, that theme will continue from talk to talk and instruction and instruction. So um, yeah, it, it's not that we are uh, authoritative uh, voices that we are telling people, this is what you have to do. We're just in the experience with everyone as we guide them along the experience. So uh, I, I hopefully that answers your question somehow. <laughs> yeah, it was to me, it was very like fantastical to watch and be a witness <laughs> to and be a student of. So I just want to say like that was I'd never experienced anything like that. And I was really like as as a Virgo retreat manager, I was like, "What? You don't know what you're going to say yet?" When I knew, like, <laughs> when you guys kind of talked about that before, and then being there and being a student of it, it was just really beautiful and and like I could see how like everything was interwoven, like you said, and really um, taught in the moment, which I think is the whole point, right? So, mm -hmm. I, I I really appreciated it having experienced it uh, initially the planner in me was like ah, how do they not know what they're going to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's the beautiful thing about this tradition is that my teacher my root teacher dave smith i've been fortunate enough to assist him on several retreats right so before i ever taught retreat i assisted five six seven eight retreats and you know and you watch people that come before you and how they do it. And I was very grateful to be brought up in that, you know, practicing what you're teaching, right? It's like, cause at the end of the day, it's not, you don't teach the retreat. It teaches itself, you know, and you got to really think about this. I'm not just trying to say something deep. It's not like when words come out of my mouth as a teacher, every person in the room hears those words through the filter of their experience. So it does matter what I say and that there's some, some practice and there's some experience around what I'm saying. There's some experience that I've gained, you know, to share, but the words that I'm saying are being interpreted through all these individual filters. And so the best thing we can do is actually respond to the moment that we're in always. That's what the Buddha is trying to teach us. But you're right, Beth. It's it is for all of us. It's very scary to let go in that way because we're afraid to let go of our plans and are prepared. And you know, and I think the best thing that we can do sometimes is to give up on the idea of perfect, you know, and realize that like what you're trying to do is to show that there's nothing so bad about things falling apart. Actually, it's really beautiful and it's okay, you know, and so. You just have to, like Mikey said, just have faith in the Dharma and that process. And it always ends up what it's supposed to be. And then it's really cool. It's like you just can have this confidence that you don't actually have to do much, but show up. It's like the difference between one of the definitions of dukkha I've heard is stress. It's like you don't have to have all this stress of always preparing and always performing and always doing a good job. You don't have to do a good job. Just be be there right caring is enough you care you care about what you're doing you care about these people that you're teaching that's enough actually all that other stuff is extra no one's asking you to do that and it's not helping anyone <laughs> you know and it's like so wild because as a therapist the more that i actually give up on trying to help people the better of a therapist i've become that's really interesting I don't have an agenda. I don't have a need to fix or to solve because then you become really present with them in their experience that they're in. And so I'm sharing this just to say, you know, the Dharma is life-changing. You know, it's like learning a way to actually be okay with where you're at. And the retreat is taught around that philosophy, you know, that practice, that principle. So. That's great. Um, 
I think I remember last time we had this had a retreat with Wildheart. I walked through the parking lot. So we're in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. A lot of people haven't even heard of this town. Uh, it's a really t- small, cute coastal town. And um, I was walking through the parking lot, and we had people from Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, um, Alabama, Texas, and Mississippi and Louisiana. So to me, I was like, wow, this is representative of this whole region. So your Sangha, the, the, where you're mostly based is Nashville. But um, talk a little bit, if you can, about what you see happening in the South. I know that many of you know your lineages are from um, Spirit Rock or Hartwood, which is North Carolina, but also, you know, pretty much Western Buddhism were coming from these like big retreat centers that have already been established that are either West coast or East coast. So I wanted to know what you see happening. If you see, you know, this kind of shift where you're finding more people are finding Buddhism in the South, or if you have a bigger kind of Sangha in Nashville. Um, So just using that as a prompt, like Buddhism in the South, what do you think, Mikey? Can I say something real quick? Sure. I'm sorry. And I just and then I'll pass the mic. But I just want to say that, and I know your intention is really great, Beth. I just want to say that, you know, there have been Buddhist communities in America for a long, long time. They've just been culturally Buddhist communities. And so I know what you're saying, right? You're but you're talking right. about American convert Buddhists, right? And which, yes, you see on the West Coast and the East Coast. So I just wanted to say that because they're around, man, like they're in Nashville, like there are tons of Buddhist temples. They're also American convert Buddhist people that didn't grow up Buddhist, that found Buddhism as a path, you know, that practice. But I just wanted to say that because I want to show some love for all these communities that have been hanging out (laughs) like over here off Nolensville Pike in Nashville. They've been here for so long. You know, and that's kind of cool to me. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I'm just like able to discover because I was afforded this opportunity to be introduced, you know, to their culture and to these practices. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to give a shout out. Yes. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. And and as we uh, find our own voices as people in the American Southeast, in the Dharma, uh, I remember when um, I went to this was about like nine years ago, I was traveling from Nashville down to Fort Walton Beach, Florida, where my hometown is. And I was driving through Birmingham and uh, they have a Sangha in Birmingham, Alabama. And I went there and it was huge. I'm like, what does Birmingham, Alabama have such a rich Sangha? This is awesome. And in Nashville, it's ridiculous how many people are, are, are coming out for meditation. And I think there is like a response to, especially in Nashville, I hear a lot of uh, about religious trauma and how people still want spirituality and, spir- and, and community. And uh, there may be some resistance based off of their past experiences with spirituality. And I think uh, Buddhism is a great uh, doorway into spirituality um, for people that have had religious trauma. And we have our own voices uh here in the South, what we uh, deal with in the South, difficulties in the South that are very unique and our own traditions in the South. So when Marika Maypop first started uh, teaching with us, the first time we ever did anything really together was on a retreat at Hartwood Refuge in North Carolina. And she was assisting that retreat. And she's like, y'all give like this Southern type Dharma that's like rooted in storytelling. And I was like, yeah, I guess we do. And she's like, it seems like this like Southern tradition of like kind of folk Dharma where you're telling these like very profound teachings in a very personal storytelling way. And I didn't think about it at the time, but it's like, man, I just gave an hour talk and all I did was tell you a story about something I went through. (laughs) And I, I think there is kind of this tradition of storytelling in our lineage uh, our modern lineage, uh, because our modern lineage, uh, with me and even Andrew to a certain degree coming from like against the stream where it was recovery based, right? So there's a lot about sharing our own personal stories that I find fits really well 
in the American U.S. Southeast personally. I don't, I don't know about you, Andrew. I feel like there is kind of a vibe we're, we're cultivating. Yeah, I mean, I think that Southerners are uniquely very communal people, right? We didn't industrialize as quickly as the major metropolitan cities. And so we relied on each other for a long time. And a lot of that was rooted in religion. And for a lot of people, I mean, Buddhism's not as a religion, because Buddhism is a religion, it's not uh, excused from the same history, but there's a lot of hypocrisy. There's a lot of suffering in religion. And so I think obviously in the Bible Belt in the Southeast, people are, you get very communal people, people that like to be with each other. And like Mikey's saying, to share stories with each other. They like to connect with each other. They almost find identity through community. I would say that's been my experience as a Southerner living here since I was six years old, you know, I've always been very communal and my friend's parents, right. <laughs> you have you over for, for supper, right. You have you over, you have to go to church with them the next day, right. They, the family is a unit and is a, and it is an extension of the community. And so I really get on my soapbox. There's something very special and very beautiful about Southern culture and I think that there's something very dharmic, actually, to the way that we already know how to exist in community together. And I think that Wild Heart and a lot of other dharmic communities in the South, you know, Southeast, I think that it's a very unique place because what I noticed is back in our day when we were connected with another organization is things felt very different in the organization that was in Nashville than that same branch of organization that was in Los Angeles and not better, just very different. And our way of, of wanting to lead, you know, even in our community is like no one actually <laughs> wants to be in charge at wild heart. Like we're all trying to right. not be the teacher, you know, because with responsibility comes a lot of burden, you know, and we want to share it and we want to do it together. And so I think that it even is found kind of in the structure of how we flow is that like, we don't want it to be, oh yeah, you know, this place is synonymous with Andrew or synonymous with Mikey, you know, sometimes it's got to be like that starting out, but I think it's even in the way that we want to build our communities as we want to do it as a community. So it's very special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so let me ask you this. I feel like something that I hear a lot is people that are kind of practicing in these smaller pockets that maybe they don't have a big sangha that they can go to in person, but then, you know, what flowering Lotus is trying to do is it, provide that retreat experience that maybe you're a Buddhist that's practicing. I mean, I know a lot of people that have just their own home-based practice themselves and they don't even have a Sangha that they can go to in person. Mm -hmm. But what happens when you come to do a retreat is you kind of find that Sangha, um, even if it is just for the weekend. Mm -hmm. So let me ask, how can people kind of practice or know more about Buddhism if they don't have the Sangha that is like a home Sangha in their town? Do you have any kind of advice for people like that? Is it for me or for Mikey? Um, we'll go for Mikey just because of your voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I have no clue, right? Like, Good idea. Uh, I, I think um, most of us, uh, I shouldn't say, I, I think uh, me and a few of my friends <laughs> got through, got into this practice through reading books. Um, and when we read enough books, it was like, okay, it's time to start doing the thing, time to start meditating. And I feel very fortunate because I did find a Sangha, especially where I was growing up in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, where it, it's, you know, it's a rarity, but definitely still there. Um, and then moving to Nashville and the main reason I, I moved to Nashville was because of our, our community 
um, our Buddhist community, the Sangha here. So I, I don't know. I have no clue. I, I, I'm just going to speak from a couple of my friends who come to these retreats that don't have a Sangha. They stay in touch. They have my phone number. They call me up. They do FaceTimes with me and hang out with me virtually. And I love hearing from them. So we still have the technology to have Sangha, even if we're not in the same room with each other. And then we get into the same room during retreats. And, and then it's beautiful. It's like, oh, I haven't seen you in six months, but I've talked to you on the phone, you know, once a week, right? So I, I think there's so many resources to make spiritual friends online and then go to the retreats. Um, I know a few people going to this retreat that are in that situation. Yes, it gets juicy at the retreat for sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I think too, your podcast, I listened to your podcast for a long time before I ever met either of you. Huh. So both that I think your podcast has so much great, um, you know, good Dharma talks and really a lot of different practice um, advice and teachings that are, you know, you can listen to that anytime. So that's another thing too. And there are a lot of online ability to to practice online, even if you guys aren't doing it anymore. But there's a lot of sanghas that do meet virtually. Um, so, yeah, tell me a little bit about what you felt like your experience of coming to do a retreat at Flowering Lotus was for you guys last time, like as teachers or, you know, what it felt like. Um, one thing you touched on, Andrew, was about people's religious trauma. And I feel like something that I never kind of thought about until um, someone brought it up was that we do hold this, this retreat is at a Catholic um, retreat center. So even that can kind of bring up some stuff for people because we are going to a Catholic retreat center. We're not in a church. We're not in the, you know, the, the um, worship area, but it is a Catholic retreat center. So there are some icon, you know, some icon uh, icons that are up and around. Um, so I don't know. Would you like to talk about that, Mikey? Yeah, sure. Um, I think what the beautiful thing about the Dharma is it's okay if it's tough. It's okay if it brings up unpleasant feelings because you can make that part of your practice. And um, that's really all I want to say about it, that I don't think we are practicing the Dharma to be comfortable. I don't think we're trying to um, make the external perfect. And the Dharma teaches us that the external will never be perfect. And so as we see something that uh, maybe brings up some you know, really terrible memories, right? What a wonderful space for us to have compassion for some of those terrible memories. And that's my perspective on it. If you ask me tomorrow, maybe I'll have a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, very Southern of us to be practicing Dharma in a, you know, Christian facility. There's just not... Dharma retreat centers. There's a couple in the South. Um, and I think what y'all are doing is really cool because we've got to work with, with what we've got. And it's what the Buddha did too. You know, it's like Buddhism didn't exist at the time that the Buddha was alive. And uh, he created the monastic order. It's actually one of the only religions, at least that I know of. I think I would say it's the only one that I know of where the quote unquote church or the congregation, the monastic order, whatever you want to call it was created during the lifetime of the spiritual teacher, you know, so the Buddha created the Sangha, you know, created the temples, created the places of worship during his time. And you've got to do, you've got to work with what you got. And people don't realize that the Buddha was a really good businessman. He used Right. He 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 engaged with the systems that he had to make this thing work out. People also don't realize that the reason why Buddhism is here and not some other religion from back then is because the Buddha did that, because he engaged with his culture and he got benefactors and he started a church. You know what I mean? Uh, not a church, but a monastic order. Right. And so. Yeah, I think that's really cool about what y'all are doing is we're, we got to work with what we've got, right? And you got to meet people where they're at. And, um, 
yeah, the kid in me that was raised Catholic doesn't like sitting in like a Catholic conference room, to be completely honest. I would far rather sit in a room with Kuan Yin and Siddhartha Gautama sitting up there, you know? But y'all do a great job of accommodating and bringing some of that into the space. And, um, you know, and it's like a good reminder that you practice anywhere. It doesn't matter where. Thank you. So. What, if you could title this part of your life, what would the title of this part of your life be in this chapter of your life, maybe? Yeah, it's actually a really uh, poignant question for me, specifically around my practice, because I stepped down in my role as the guiding teacher at Wildheart in January. And so what I and I stopped formally practicing meditation in January as a practice to not practice because uh, I wanted to really let go of this identity that was necessary you know when you take on a role it's it's actually necessary to acknowledge that it's a role and to wear it you know to take it on and in buddhism we talk a lot about not self and non-identification but there's that paradox right and so you have to take on these roles i'm a father i'm a buddhist i'm a therapist i'm a person in recovery right and those identities can become they're very useful. They're just temporary forms that we take on, but they can also be confining. They can be restrictive. They can kind of get us in a, in a routine or a habit pattern, a rut. And so this stage of my life, this chapter of my life is about, you know, I don't want to be a Buddhist anymore for right now, right? For what that, and what I mean by that is I don't want to be this old version of the leader of the Buddhist teacher and the blah, blah, blah. I just want to be a practitioner. I just want to be a student of life. I want to let go of a lot of these labels, you know? Um, and we see this, I think people see this, it, it, this may sound kind of like a little bit out there, but, you know, I think you see this with like, how you think about your job. Like, does it feel like a job? You know, do you, do you like, are like, ah, Mondays, right? Like the way you think about things affects your, you, how you move through the world. And so this stage of life for me is about trying to remove some of those labels, I guess, to keep it simple. And um, it's been really great. I had one of the most powerful retreat experiences I've had ever on this last retreat and I went in without really caring that I was on a retreat or caring uh, how I should meditate. And I had the most concentration and the most insight and I didn't do anything, you know, and I kind of have given up on being a Buddhist for right now. And that might sound weird, but that if you want my honest answer, that's where I'm at is I'm just kind of letting go of a lot of those identities. So. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like that's so insightful and it's back at um, letting go and showing up, right? Mm -hmm. So Mikey, for your uh, question that is just off the cuff here for something a little bit more personal, personal, I guess, what question are you trying to answer most in your life right now? Mm. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, it's how to be happy. Um, yeah, <laughs> how, how to find genuine happiness. That is, that is my, uh, uh goal. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> should, should I give the, the, the answer to it? If or? you have it, if you know it, I'm sure everyone wants to yeah. know what the answer to that is. Yeah. Happy happiness comes from within as many times as my mind says, Oh, my happiness is in making the world perfect and making things last that by nature will never last uh, by having a certain emotion. You know, sometimes we think happiness, we think like a, a so-called positive emotion, but even having a sense of well-being when I feel like shit, when there's grief, when there's anger, even when like, 
I'm like sick of people. I'm tired of talking to this person. I can still find a genuine happiness in my heart. And it's almost as if the word happiness isn't quite right, but it's the closest one I can find because um, sometimes we use like content. I, I, I don't know if that's even the right word. So um, yeah, finding genuine happiness. That's my quest these days. Well, even when you were just saying that, I felt like it's a sense of relief, a relief that those two things can exist. So there can be anger, happiness, anger, and, you know, it can be okay, you know? So I feel like that definitely, I just kind of did a sigh of relief when you were describing that feeling. So I think it's true. I think it can be true. I think we're all searching for that. And definitely I've found it in little patches here and there (laughs) in practice for sure. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for taking this time with um, me and for our listeners at Flowering Lotus Meditation. We really want to encourage anyone that feels called to come to the retreat July 6th through the 9th in Bay St. Louis. And we just welcome anyone that um, has any questions. They can reach out to me. Um, If you want to learn more about Mikey and Andrew's teachers, you can listen to their podcast, Wild Heart Meditation um, Podcast. And um, please, if you have any questions, reach out. Do you guys have any last things to encourage people to sign up? Oh, I just got to say some gratitude. I, I really appreciate you, Beth. And I really appreciate Flowering Lotus. Thank you so much for everything you do, hosting our retreat, but also just giving a shout out with so many people I love that are teaching their, you know, Venerable Paniwadi doing stuff there, Lisa Ernst doing stuff there, just shouting out like so many great retreats. Christy Bates, yeah, a lot of people, uh, yeah. Timothy Davis, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people from the Southeast, right? And Lisa, yeah. It's really wonderful what y'all are doing because we have some amazing teachers. We have some amazing practitioners and we've got some amazing people that live in the South, you know, and y'all are spreading the love. And I know (laughs) running a nonprofit, it's not easy. Sometimes it feels like there's no love. You're like, what? where's the love? You know, it's like, it's a grind y'all like, and y'all need to know that that listen, like Beth is out there grinding and it's not for notoriety, you know, it's for, it's because I know you love people and you want to, you want to share this with people. So it's beautiful. Yes. And we, I have never felt more supported than I do right now with our board expanded a lot over the past year. And really everyone on the board has, has that same, you know, want and need to spread the Dharma in the South and really do the work to let people have this opportunity to go on retreat and not have Mm. to go too far and not hopefully not spend too much and really, um, you know, bring it to bring it into the backyard. (laughs) So thank you guys so much. I hope that, um, you know, I'm sure I'll talk to you before (laughs) the retreat, but thank you so much. And um, can't wait to see you and practice with you soon. Yeah. See you soon, Beth. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Mikey and Andrew will be the teachers at our next residential retreat happening July 6th through the 9th in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi at William Kelly Retreat Center. We hope to see you there. Sign up now at floweringlotusmeditation.org.